Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Taking you all over the entertainment realm this week, it's episode 431 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham and so many interviews to get to this week, including the cast and producers of the Orville New Horizons. Going to talk season three and the possibilities of season four. I got to catch up with them at Comic-Con this year. So Brandon, Brandon Braga is going to be joining me along with members of the cast and Winters, Penny Johnson, Gerald, Mark Jackson, Peter Macon, Chad L. Coleman, all going to be joining me to talk about not just season three, but the potential for season four as well. I'll also catch up with some of the members of the Five Days at Memorial Limited series that's going to be coming from Apple TV Plus about what happened during Hurricane Katrina Memorial Hospital. So director and executive producer Carlton Cuse is going to join me, Robert Pine and Julie Emery from the cast as well. And you know, I'm going to be talking about Tales of the Walking Dead too, right? Kirsty Bryan joins me to talk about her very interesting character in the first episode of this series. Also going to give, me my, give you my review of season three of Lock and Key, the final season of that series from Netflix, and yet another blunder from Warner Brothers Discovery. Who would have thunk it? Me. That's who would have thunk it. Going to talk about that and so much more. But first, let's get started with some interviews, shall we? The cast of the Orville New Horizons and the creative team. Going to join me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is David Fielding, Zordon from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Season 3 of the Orville Mind of Come and Gone, but it is now streaming on Disney Plus as well as Hulu and went back at Comic-Con. I got a chance to sit down with the producers and the cast to talk about this past season. And let's start off with Brandon Braga, who's the executive producer on the show, and Tom Constantino, who's the co-producer. And one of the first questions asked of them was about being able to have longer episodes for the show once they started going on Hulu. Here's what they had to say about that. It allowed us to do more expansive storytelling. It really freed us up to tell more complex stories with more storylines and you know, being confined to 43 minutes, it requires you to, to have a certain amount of discipline, Yeah. but at the same time, the main reason that Seth moved it to Hulu was to open up the running time, and, and you can speak to that. Well, no, well, we had to sacrifice, you know, some of the best scenes, you know, for season two, I mean, I'm saying this because the writer's here and I love him, and he's, they, they're very tight storytellers, but having to lose the golf scene from an earlier episode, the, you know, having to make decisions about, you know, we have great actors, and having to cut their performances short to hit a clock, it, it, it affects, you know, they've always been talented, but, you know, we're actually getting to see them shine now, which is, which is a big deal, and it, it's like you're not using all your firepower when you got to cut, 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 cut. And you get, a, like, the first episode, which was dealt with suicide. Side. You don't want to be you know, rushing to a Colgate commercial. You know, you, you want to handle it with a certain amount of delicacy and uh, and depth that you. I just don't think you get when you're constricted. One of the characters that had a really big story in season three was Isaac, so I definitely wanted to make sure I asked the guys about that. You guys are taking Isaac on quite a ride this season from that and then everything going on to Charlie and Lindy. Will there, won't they, Claire and everything like that. What's it like them bringing him along that journey this season? Because I think that's been one of the brightest spots up this season. Well, he's, he's what you would call a classic science fiction character, and they're usually the most popular. It's a, it's a great tradition. The non-human characters are the most human. Uh, and so 
he's been a lot of fun to do. Seth always envisioned his story being a relationship story. It's a relationship show if you look at Ed and Kelly and Bordis and Clyden and Isaac and Claire. They're one of the central relationships. And it's been one, it's still, it's an ongoing story. It's one of the best things about the show. And also, too, you know, getting to, obviously they've told more stories where we get to get Mark out of the suit because he's so expressive. And he's one of those actors that can actually perform through the suit, but having the opportunity to sort of see him and get into the minutiae and still maintain the eyes of character. It is amazing how well he did as in his human form. Yeah. You know, it, it didn't feel like you were breaking a rule. Like, he did, he's so perfect as his human self. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was a bold experience experiment because you normally would not do that. You would not, you know, take a science fiction character out of their get yeah. But Seth had great faith in Mark and he nailed it. I also wanted to ask Brandon and Tom about some of the new faces that we saw in season three of the Orville New Horizons. Really quickly, what's it been like introducing us to some some different potential allies in this battle against the Kalon? We've seen a lot of different new species or other planets coming from. What's it been like bringing a little bit more in? You know, fortunately, we saw, we went to the Planetary Union and the, and the, and the Council and it was it was good. I mean, we saw a lot of different species. We saw Yafit species, and it, it did feel expansive. And again, on a on a, re a regular TV show with a regular TV show schedule and budget, you wouldn't be able, you, to, you wouldn't be able to. We shot that at the Disney Hall and in, in downtown LA. Well, even like the Bo like Bola Bar, we wouldn't have been able to give him that kind of that kind of time. That scene goes on for quite a while, and and I think there was a talk, and we do get another season. He, he may make an appearance again. You know, we definitely set the seeds for new characters to have new stuff if we get more episodes. Now it's time for some of the crew of the Orville to sit down. We're talking about Penny Johnson, Gerald, who plays Dr. Claire Finn, and Winters, who's Ensign Charlie Burke, and the man himself, Mark Jackson, who plays Isaac. So I wanted to ask Penny and Ann about their interactions with Isaac this season because they both had some pretty interesting moments with him. So you both had a little bit of something with Isaac this season, obviously Very for, you, for you, Penny, but, but just talk about both, and I love the moment that you fight. We finally got that moment between Charlie and Isaac, which I love. So if you could both kind of talk about the ups and downs with Isaac so far this season, because there's been, there's been some good stuff. I mean, yeah, I definitely start off hating Isaac because of my past, and I really hope that the audience gets to see the journey that she takes and like kind of the self-reflection that she ends up making with her own view and I hope that people really like see the softer part of her at the end. She definitely has some self-discovery that she makes and her and Isaac have a great kind of friendship bond at the end of the day I think. Wow that's actually very interesting because I find that Claire and Isaac they've had the same kind of relationship but in different places with this arc very much so, starting yeah. out as friends and admiration and respect and then betrayal which is anger and hurt and n not trusting and then to love and then falling in love again to be disappointed and who knows what else is going to happen after that. I mean I think it's interesting to even just have any sort of connection with someone that doesn't have emotion and I think this season Mark was saying that he hasn't really been seen since season two without his robot costume on and it really gives you another look at like just how difficult it is to you know have some sort of connection or be on a ship or have some sort of relationship with someone that doesn't have emotion and he's so good at, at like being a robot with no robot costume on I was so impressed I hand, hand that is a hard thing to do as an actor to like act like you have emotion or not have emotion but have a face and emotion yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a cool concept. I'm glad we got to see him without his robot costume a lot this season. Someone also asked about the tonal shift of the show in season three, and I thought Mark especially had some really interesting insight into that. I kind of made a comparison earlier that the three seasons are a bit like preschool, middle school, high school. You know, we're, we're getting a bit more mature. We've, we've had our fun. We're still going to have some fun, but it's going to be a bit more like, a bit classier, I guess. I mean, Scott made me laugh on that freaking bridge every single day. I was trying to, like, hold a straight face. So he definitely still cracks jokes all the time in there, even in the scripts and everything. And then also Bordas, I think, has a lot of 
the comedic kind of. Yeah, but it's but it's sprinkled with comedy, and it always yeah. has been. And our very first meeting with Seth was to make sure that we give you a reality of these people who happen to be 400 years in the future. And if something is funny, it doesn't cease being funny in the future. So it's we, we were never to think of it as slapstick or anything right. like that or spoof. It was has it had to be that the comedy rested in the reality of a situation that just happens to be funny. Next up, it was the Mocklins. That means we're talking about Peter Macon, who plays Lieutenant Commander Bordas, and, of course, Chad L. Coleman, who plays Clyden. And one of the first questions was actually about how they go about approaching their relationship on screen and playing off of each other a little bit as well. Both of us come from the theater, right? So we come, we come to work with, with a lot on our plate. Yeah. And, and and we it's always this we're always there and and we're open you know dialogue between each other breaking down the scene if we need to boom, we're there yeah. but if we and then sometimes we just go and then we start finding yeah. other yeah. things we throw it on the wall see what yeah. sticks and then we go and, and then we'll ask each other questions yeah. about like okay so I have questions about like what are you like thinking about like that's maybe not even related to the scene right Right. so and, and then that'll inform like a choice that I want to make on the next take right yeah. but it is talking and listening like, yeah I memorize the scene I, like in terms of like I get the scene of like what's happening what the like the who went where why and when, but then, and I memorize my lines, but then I don't memorize my scene partner's lines. No, I just I, listen, I, I listen to, to what you say, and based on if it's good writing, which it is, what I say is informed by, and I, I, I like to memorize to the point where I forget my lines, and I'm going to respond based on what they say. Yes. So, and when you get in there and you're dancing with each other, it's like, what just happened? Yeah. Let's do it again. What just happened? Yeah. Let's do it again. So yeah. it's 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 very much like the theater. Yeah, we uh, we, we, we have great chemistry and, and both of us just come with a skill set that's open. We're to open listen. to it. Like a professional, I was told, will rehearse and rehearse and rehearse until it can't go wrong. And an artist, I was told, will rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and practice until it can only go right. Meaning, like, no matter what happens, I'm rolling. We're in with it. That. Yeah. So, and we we, we, we we put some sweat equity in. Oh. You know, two, <laughs> decades. Two seasons, two seasons of us dancing with each other. Yeah. It's Literally. Marinated on, <laughs> on the dance floor. Exactly. <laughs> it's marinated, you yeah. know. It's marinated in a way that it's sleight of hand for us, you know. We get each other. We get yeah. each other and we've earned we've earned all the, you know, minutiae that's going yeah. on in for our sure. relationship. For sure, for sure. One more question for the guys was what was the most difficult season scene for you to shoot this season? And if you've seen it, you probably know. If you haven't no spoilers here. <laughs> I think it was I was uh, the confrontation after dinner with with Toba. That 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 war. <laughs> I'm gonna say the scene that you haven't seen yet. Oh, okay. oh no, they've seen it. No, 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 no. The last episode. <laughs> you forget that it's repressed. That shit was hard, and I'll leave it at that. You don't, you haven't seen it yet, but you'll know what I'm talking about. Nine thousand feet above sea level, babies. That was hard. Enough said. Drop the mic. And you can't really go on after you drop the mic, right? But that's just, there's just so many reasons to watch the Orville New Horizons, whether it be on Hulu or now streaming on Disney Plus as well, because this show has evolved in such an incredible and unique way into what it is right now. And if you've never watched an episode of this show, I actually encourage you to go back and watch it from the beginning because you see stuff that was set up in season one really evolve into season three and still matter in season three as well. And it, you could just see the plan unfolding for this show. And I, I came late to the show. I'll be honest. I was one of those people that came late. And I'm so glad that I decided to come back to the show and watch it through because season three was so incredible. And if you haven't seen it to, all the way to the end yet, we want a season four is what I'm trying to get at. So make sure you're watching the Orville, whether it be on Hulu or Disney Plus, because I want to see a season four of this show for sure, and I know the cast and all the producers and everyone involved 
would as well. Again, thanks to the amazing producers and cast of The Orville for joining me at Comic-Con this year. And, of course, everyone at Disney and Hulu for allowing me to be a part of the press room there and the great journalists that joined me as well. Up next, Tales of the Walking Dead is premiering on AMC this weekend. Already there on AMC+. Plus. If you subscribe to AMC+, Plus, I got a chance to talk to Kirstie Bryant about her role on the first episode of this anthology series. Talk to her about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is writer Kyle Higgins, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yet another spinoff of The Walking Dead is coming. This one looks really, really interesting called Tales of the Walking Dead. It's an anthology series, and one of the faces that you're going to see in that very first episode is hers. It's Kirsty Bryan. Kirsty, how you doing? Hi, hi. So good. So good. Melting in New York City. Oh, you and me both. I'm on the East Coast, too, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> Kirsty, The Walking Dead, arguably, you know, one of the most popular franchises of the last decade, if not even more than that with the comics. So were you a fan of the show before? And what was it like to kind of finally join this world? Oh, boy, I was a fan of the show. But, you know, I was really just familiar with the first spinoff or the first the first original. And then I, over the years, you know, as you know, you get opportunities to audition and things like that. I, I kept like revisiting the world, being like, wow, this thing just is amazing. And so when you finally get the opportunity to join the world, but then you like are saying, oh my gosh, this is like K2. Like we are looking down like, what is it, 11 seasons of the... Uh, is, yep, like, 11, like, yep. <laughs> unless you've been doing that weekly, like it's it's a tough, it's a tough climb <laughs> like to like begin. No doubt about that. But yeah. what's cool about your series, though, and I, and I love is that it's an anthology series, which is first for this universe, actually, which is, again, very, very cool. So do you kind of approach a series like this any different, knowing that each episode's kind of going to be a, telling its own story? You know, I think what this is sitting like a little its own film. So each episode, you know, is an hour that introduces you to a number of characters and they go into their adventures. And then the next episode is like an entirely other, you know, world. It's the same world, but it's like, you know, maybe a different time period. So the great thing about the character I'm playing is she's absolutely unique to the world. The design team kind of came forward and was like, we've never had a character like her before. She comes in and does some things that are a little unusual and is different. So that was exciting because I didn't have the weight of holding on to, you know, yes, there's certain circumstances of the world that are are known, which is, you know, it's post, post-apocalyptic, there are walkers, you know, all those things. But my character is kind of managing things in her own way. So I think that's going to be what's was super fun is that it's it's a different it's a different vibe. <laughs> That's really, really cool. We'll get a little bit more into Sandra here in just a second, but how excited were you that you got to appear in the actual premiere episode of a series like this? Because you, you guys are the hook. This is this is the one where everybody's going to go, I love this show, I don't love this show, they're going to love the show. But how cool is it that you're like, I'm in the pilot, so this is the one that, that a lot of people's eyeballs are going to be on. So I didn't realize we were going to be the premiere, and then when I got news, I was like, oh, that's that's rad. That's rad. And But I, I'm not terribly surprised because it's kind of amazing hour of television I and you've got Terry Crews and you've got Olivia Munn and you've got Ron, Ron Underwood who's directing so you know you've got this amazing kind of like group just ready to go to get us like launched off right let's let's circle into that now because we know the episode title is Evie and Joe so we know you've got Terry Crews and Olivia Munn in the episode that you're in. So that's a spoiler we can certainly avoid. But what was it like working with the both of them, especially because I know Terry's a super fan and I know his energy's off the charts. Okay, Terry is magnificent. Terry is a super fan, but also just being around Terry makes you want to be better in all parts of your life. Like you just are sitting there being like, am I eating well enough? Um, am I, am I <laughs> Not am I well doing, enough to look like that. Am, am I good enough in my life? Like he just so vibrant and sets the tone. I mean, you just want to be better when you're around Terry. And uh, Olivia, marvelous, marvelous, charming. I would call her huggable is the word I would use. That that sounds about right. I could I yeah. could certainly see that for sure. And so, very gifted, very gifted. Oh, no doubt about that. No doubt about that at all. So let's go back and talk about Sandra for a second. Obviously, I know there's not much that you can say. You want to avoid spoilers to give us a nice little tease before, but how much more can you tell us about the character? Like, what's your favorite thing about her? Okay. Well, Sandra, who I play, is calm. She's realistic. She's a prepper. And uh, she met 
Joe, played by Terry Crews, online before the apocalypse. So in, uh, I had asked him to meet IRL when we were able to communicate, and that was 402 days ago. Wow. So, and then unbeknownst to her, she might get her dream. Ooh, interesting, interesting. So that's the best tease you're going to get because she's not allowed to say anything. She's she's <laughs> under major threats of of not saying anything. So we yeah. want to make sure we don't get her. The in world too. of the world will will fall on top of me. If yeah, absolutely. And 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 I know exactly what that's like because I'd be in trouble too. We'd be right there in the same booth together. Let's not do it. <laughs> no, yeah. let's not. So we're talking to Kirsty Bryan, of course, from Tales of the Walking Dead, which you can see coming up this Sunday on AMC. And of course, it's going to be on AMC Plus as well. I want to mention that too. So, Kirsty, we talked about how each episode is kind of its own thing, tells its own story. So how much were you consciously aware of what was going to be happening in future episodes? Did they, did they, did you kind of keep your eyes on that or did they keep you completely in the dark as to what was going to be happening in other episodes? Completely in the dark. You get a sense a little bit because, you know, they're prepping for different episodes. You know, the design team, you know, something might pass your eye where you're like, what is that? But yeah, so but the answer is I, n not, not a thing. I'm guessing you're probably going to watch the show as oh. it comes out, right? Oh, yeah. We're so all just going to watch it. So it'll be fresh for you. So do you, do you kind of feel like you could be watching an episode of this series and like wonder what's my character doing in this particular part of this story? Because I'd be wondering that if I had no idea what was going on. You know, that's kind of how I got the job was I ended up, you know, they don't give you the scripts. I got a very, very, you know, I got the dummy script, did mm. not get get the script until, you know, just a few days before we were shooting. So I kind of prepared for one thing, thinking I was playing something, and then, you know, you arrive and you are doing something else. So the yeah. reality is, like, I'm going to be as surprised as all of us. I think you've got to keep an open spirit here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, well, since you like to be surprised, this that might actually answer my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because this, this show's not afraid to kill off their characters, no matter how important they are, no matter who plays them, it doesn't matter. Obviously, no spoilers, but did you cheat ahead in the script to see if your character survived or not, or somebody else that you're working with that survived. Well, I have to tell you, when I received the script and I opened it and I saw Terry Crews and Olivia Munn, I was like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. And then what befell me was the greatest actor's dream. This was a character that very rarely would pass your plate. So I have to say... I was more like, oh my gosh, from the beginning to the end, like a true, like it's 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 a gift. I've received an actor's gift. That's always amazing. There's endless possibilities for a show like this, I feel like, Kirsty, in, in keeping with this anthology style. So I got to say this every time, no spoilers, but would you like to return to a sh this show at some point or maybe somewhere else in the Walking Dead universe at some point? If they would give me that honor, I would do it in a heartbeat. You kind of hear that a lot. Yeah. People that work on these kinds of shows. Is it just the show? Is it the people that are involved in the show? Or is it just the, the, the fandom that makes you want to come back to stories like this? You know, you've got Scott Gimple, who's been, you know, working on the whole universe for so long. And you've got Channing Powell, who's basically the showrunner of this. And they are so gifted and so warm. And yeah, you just want to be part of the world, but also the fans. I mean, I, I'm a fan. Terry Crews is a fan. Oh, yeah. We just all want to be together. There's no doubt about that. Now, Kirsty, anybody that might know your background knows you've got some theatrical performance experience. You've done some off-Broadway stuff and things like that. So I, I couldn't help but wonder as I was putting this together, how do you think The Walking Dead would look like as a Broadway theater production? Oh, my gosh. This is the best idea I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> I would say it must be a musical. It would have to be a musical if we do that. And that allows for a, like a very good chorus. <laughs> it would be like a very large like Walker chorus and some really amazing dance numbers. I'm really supportive of this. Would you would we would we be able to call them walkers anymore? We'd have would we have to call them dancers? Would we have to change the name entirely? Oh my gosh, maybe. Actually you're well maybe the walker becomes like a new type of dance. Oh, um, that is see? that is something I've learned. That was a, something I learned as I was sitting, you know, in my chair waiting to to work. And I looked to the left, and there was a there's a zombie checking the messages. You know, it's like a very <laughs> like like I think the walkers can do anything. 
That's that's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. I would just like to see what that kind of dancing looks like. You know, what yeah, is that? But mo- you know what's so wild? I'm sure your fans have heard it before and you maybe have too. They are so specific mm-hmm. on what has happened to the body, you know, what why they're why walkers are breathing this way, why the, how they move, you know, why the sound is why it like the sound that they make. I was really I was like, "Oh, this is this is specific." Oh yeah, they they definitely they definitely dig deep into that. Kirsty, before I let you go, I want to switch gears for a second because this is definitely a topic that is is near and dear to me because I want to ask you about Egg Party, which oh, you yeah. directed. And my wife and I have my wife and I struggled with infertility for years when we were trying to start our family. So, how important was it for you to make a film like this to support those going through the same thing and maybe inform some of those who haven't had to go through that? Oh boy, you know, Egg Party uh, was made before the pandemic, so in a sense, you know, it's just so prescient right now. It's it's a film about six women coming together for a party, each one discovering what they want to do with their own quote unquote creativity or fertility, and then it is one one friend is dealing with infertility. And I made that for friends like you. I had a number of friends really suffering in silence and. And so in a sense, I wanted to to shed some light on it. It's a comedy, which is strange and also important that, you know, this is a big question a lot of people are facing. And I wanted to be, you know, to stand alongside them as and say that we aren't going anywhere. Well, that's amazing. Keep your eyes open for that. That is a short, by the way, which you'll be able to see here a very, very soon. short film coming online. Yeah, very there you soon. Go. Hitting the festival circuits as well, if you happen to be at one of those. Also, Tales of the Walking Dead. You want to be watching that on AMC and on AMC+. And yeah, you get the episodes early on AMC+, by the way, in case you want to <laughs> avoid those spoilers that we've been trying to avoid this entire time. <laughs> and we'll finally get to see what Sandra's up to. Kirsty Bryan, thank you so much for taking oh, the James, time. Appreciate such a it. pleasure. Thank you. And whether you've already watched this on AMC Plus or not, let me tell you, you've got a lot to look forward to with Tales of the Walking Dead and especially the character of Sandra. You want to talk about a character that leaves their mark on a show? I think she leaves her mark on the show. I think that this is something fans are going to be talking about. And maybe this, maybe we see this character again Maybe we don't, but I'm just saying I, I think the buzz is certainly going to be there. So make sure you're walking Tales of the Walking Dead on AMC and AMC Plus every week because just magic things clearly are going to be coming. Thanks to Kirsty Bryan again for joining me to talk about Tales of the Walking Dead and much more. Up next, how about we talk about the new Apple TV Plus series, Five Days at Memorial, talking about the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Members of the cast and one of the executive producers join me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, this is Clarissa Tebow from Marvel's Runaways, and you're listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. You might have seen some stories dealing with Hurricane Katrina. This one takes a much different angle talking about what happened at Memorial Hospital in New Orleans during and in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Five days at Memorial Based on a true story, whether you know the controversy or not, this show definitely hits hard, and it's one that you are definitely going to want to see. I got a chance to sit down with members of the cast and one of the producers of the series to talk about the show. I actually want to start with one of the producers, Carlton Cuse, who, of course, you might know from Netflix's Lock and Key as well. Worked with John Ridley on this. So let's hear my conversation with him first. Hey, James. Hey, Carlton, good to speak with you again. Good to see you. Now, we've seen many stories, Carlton, about Hurricane Katrina. What made you all want to try and tell this story about what happened at Memorial? Sherry Fink's book is just, I think, the most exceptional piece of material about this specific a specific set of events that happened during Hurricane Katrina. And she tells the story of what happened in Memorial Hospital during the five days that follow Hurricane Katrina. And I think in burrowing in and telling the story about this one specific place, it also serves as a metaphor for what happened in New Orleans in general. And it just, 
it's just a story. When I read her book, it just got inside my head and and never left. And it was just something I was desperate to get to the screen. Now, obviously, this series is based on a true story, of course. You all use the actual news footage at times, too, within the scripted portions of the series as well. So how did you all decide when and where to use that footage and to not overuse it? I mean, I think those have just come down to aesthetic choices that John Ridley and I made as the filmmakers here. We were trying to provide context for the events that were going on in this hospital. You know, the story is pretty insular and we're inside the hospital for a big chunk of it. And we felt it was important to kind of give the audience some context to show them what was going on, to remind people of what prominent newscasters like Anderson Cooper or David Muir were saying as they were covering this storm. And just to give people some context and real understanding of, of what was going on at the time these events were taking place in this hospital. And really quickly, speaking of John Ridley, what was, what was it like teaming up with John to work on this project? Teaming up with John Ridley was just a dream come true. I mean, he was a filmmaker who I had admired greatly from afar and admire even more now having had the chance to collaborate with him for the last two and a half years on this project. He is a incisive unique and talented filmmaker who's also just deeply humanistic and he just brought so much to the story and I'm really so lucky to have been able to work on it with him and you can catch the first three episodes of five days at memorial when it premieres on apple tv plus on august august the 12th carlton cues thank you so much for joining me today I appreciate it Thanks, man. Now I want to talk to some of the members of the cast first being Robert Pine who's the father of Chris Pine by the way, who played Dr. Horace Baltz in this series. If you know that name, then you know part of his history with what happened at Memorial Hospital. Let's talk to him about how he prepared to play that character. Hi, James. How you doing? Hey, Robert. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So you play, of course, Dr. Horace Baltz on the show. He was one of the more experienced doctors on the staff during Hurricane Katrina. Do you feel like this kind of gave him a different perspective or caused him to approach things differently than some of his colleagues? Well, he'd been there longer than anybody. I mean, I guess he was a senior member of the staff there. And as he uh, says in the piece, he'd been through a dozen of these hurricanes. And it was to him, it was like being uh, snowed in at the airport. You know, it's just an inconvenience is what it was. Well, of course, it became a lot more than that. <laughs> so I, I thought of my character as the calm within the storm. It still was very difficult for him and everybody else. But, you know, I felt that I had a responsibility, my character did, to, you know, help everybody get get through this. Absolutely. Actually, your character has several interactions and I think key scenes with Dr. Poe, who is, of course, played by, Dr. Ver, by, played by Vera Farmiga. What was it like working with her and putting a spotlight on her story as it relates to this crisis as well? Well, first of all, she's wonderful to work with. And I think she did a marvelous job in her characterization in the show. And as we all tried to do, we tried to give them a humanity about who these people were. And remember, this is only, this is our story about these events. This is not a documentary. And so as actor to actor, I found her wonderful to work with. And as I said, I think she does a wonderful job. And of course, we have had a different, a different approach to, to our, our, our patients, as every doctor does. I mean, they all approach it differently. And I disagree with her in certain points. But, you know, I know she, in this experience, is new to it. So I'm trying to help her. And, uh, but she has ideas of her own, of course which I uh, disagree with. Again, my character does. This is a story. It's not a documentary or in, any, in any way. Really quickly before I let you go, of course, the heat was a major factor in this yes. crisis as well. Did you all simulate any of that on set? Because it looked like you guys were really sweating it out there. Well, they, uh, <laughs> yeah, every time before they say action, they say, come on, he needs a little more oil on his face and stuff like that. So... No, and the squirt bottles going under your arms and all that stuff. Fortunately, where we were doing it was in Toronto, 
which is a long way from New Orleans. But they did a good job of that to keep us looking like each day got worse and worse. That was good acting. If, if you believed we, we looked like we were in trouble because it was, it was, it was fine where we were. It was excellent was acting. All- and you guys will see it for yourselves on August the 12th. That's when the first three episodes of Five Days at Memorial premiere on Apple TV+. Plus. Robert Pine, thank you so much for taking a few minutes with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. I appreciate it. But it wasn't just Memorial Hospital itself. It was Life Care as well, which was leasing space inside the hospital. So I had to talk to Julianne Emery, who plays incident commander at Life Care, Diane Robichaud. She has some really interesting insights into that part of the story. Hi, James. Julianne, hi. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? Doing very, very well. Thank you. You've probably, you're probably still stressed from this because, I mean, Diane's in a really tough spot. Seems like times two in this thing throughout the entire story. Yeah. So how much can you talk about the relationship between life care and Memorial? So my character, Diane Robichaud, runs a long-term care facility that rents the seventh floor of Memorial Hospital from Tenet Healthcare, which is a massive health conglomerate. That fact seems very innocent, but as the days and our episodes wear on, it becomes dire. And it really comes at a cost, uh, particularly for life care. And for me, particularly the life care side of the story really shows a massive failure in corporate medicine. And something we really need to take a look at as a society. It really, really does. And it's, it's just incredible to watch the whole thing unravel throughout the episodes of the series. I'm sure you've played some roles in your career, though, Julianne, that are pressure-packed situations. How do you prepare for a role like this, especially when you know you're dealing with a true story here? Yeah, so we were all very very committed to the story. This felt important to us and coming out of the pandemic, coming at the, you know, the tail end of lockdown, how wonderful to do something so important, but also how impactful, you know, at some point you have to take a deep dive and there's a certain amount of emotional work that comes with the cost and you have to just be willing to pay the price. And this, in this case, particularly happily pay the price for what that for what that work is i'm still uh you know i really pride myself about being able to leave work at work at the end of the day and i think that's the healthy way to go about being an actor especially with very emotional work or extreme work of any kind and i'd be lying if it didn't if i told you it didn't take me a few months to shake the shoot and i'd be lying right now if i told you there weren't certain episodes or scenes that i still am emotionally affected by even just thinking about even just bringing to mind yeah i can only imagine what it was like being there on set i i can't help but wonder though julian as you as you talk about that how did taking this role kind of make you look at the crisis post katrina in new orleans differently than you had before i think we see very exciting parts of a disaster on the news, right? We don't really see the human element. We very rarely see it from one person's point of view. And in this case, because we're a dramatization of Sherry Fink's unbelievable book in journalism, a dramatization as opposed to say an after the fact documentary really gives you the opportunity to climb inside the psyche and the emotional life of the characters in a really beautiful way. So I think that's at some, but it's, and then at some point you have to take that deep dive for them. You just go and hope that it's there for you. We also, this cast is a really wildly talented and beautiful bunch of people. And none of us ever wanted to let each other down in a scene. Quite frequently, Cherry Jones and I would text each other the night before a scene. I'd say, I'm nervous about tomorrow, our stuff tomorrow. I, I really, I really want to get it right. She's like, I'm nervous too. And I'm like, you can't be, you're Cherry Jones. And she's, so we, we really, we really wanted to live up to the moment, to the story, to John Ridley and Carlton Cuse's writing and directing and to each other. And when you're, when you have that kind of incentive, it's, it's, you know, you don't have a choice. You just go. Absolutely. And you guys will see just how amazing everyone is on August the 12th. That's when the first three episodes premiere on Apple TV plus every week after that. And you'll just see what an amazing job that she does It's Julianne Emery. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You better get ready for an intense and emotional ride, whether you ha- were touched by the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina or not, because this story, dramatization or documentary, whatever you want to call it, it's definitely a dramatization. But let me tell you, this is one of those things that's going to really, really not just make you think, but, you know, make you cringe at times and make you think at times and make you want to talk about what happened once again all of these years later. This is just a brilliant piece of just television, and I cannot wait for you to see it, but just mentally prepare yourself for some pretty heavy stuff 
on August the 12th with five days at Memorial. The first three episodes are really going to hit you. And then let me tell you, I, I get a chance to watch ahead. And yeah, it just it's just incredible from start to finish. So make sure you watch that on Apple TV+. I'll have more of my interviews with the cast of Five Days at Memorial next week, too. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a couple more so you've had a chance to watch the show. Now you can dive back in and listen to some more of my interviews next week. But up next, let's start doing some reviews. How about the final season of Netflix's Lock and Key? I'll jump into that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Amelia Jones from Netflix's Lock and Key, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Unlocking the secrets of Key House one last time. Here's my spoiler, I'm going to say spoiler-ish review of season three, the final season of Netflix's Lock and Key. And I will say, just just to get this out of the way, I'm going to miss this show. It, it was just so well cast. The storytelling was so, you could tell it was just planned out with such meticulous care. And it was just so well put together from start to finish. So I just want to get that out of the way right now before I start diving into this. Now, I will be talking about spoilers from seasons one and two, but I'm going to try to avoid major spoilers for season three, just in case you haven't seen it yet. Now, I will say that the thing that struck me the most was the beginning of the season where, and you've seen this in the trailer, so this isn't a spoiler, where, you know, they kind of talk about, you know, things kind of, finally feel like they're back to normal. Now, we know after the way season two ended that things are far from normal, but at the same time, it, they kind of gave off this early vibe of things seemed settled, but they weren't settled. It was like almost like they were trying to convince themselves that things were normal even before things kind of went to hell in season three because the family was divided. There was a fracture there. It's like they didn't want to talk about it, but it was kind of there. And after everything that Tyler went through in season two, you wondered if you were kind of ever going to see him back at Key House ever again. And, and, and you know, with the decision that he made as well. Now, obviously, again, I don't think this is a big spoiler that you know that Tyler is a big part of what goes down in season three. And what, what struck me about this season is I thought Dodge would be the ultimate villain of this, se- of this series from start to finish. Then you meet Gideon. And the way Gideon's story plays out in this season. I, I did not. There were times where I legitimately thought that this was it. Like this, like the bad guys could actually win this one. And I'm not saying that they don't, by the way, either. Because again, no spoilers. But there were so many moments of peril in this series, in this season, excuse me, that made me really question whether how this thing was really going to end. And that was the thing that kind of kept me off balance a little bit in this third season. Especially, there were some very uncomfortable moments with the family. A lot of them. And more so than usual. I mean, we've seen that before in this show. But we see something go down with 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 mom. We see something go down between Kinsey and Bodie. We see something, you know, something go down with everybody and Tyler at one point. And, you know, but the, you do get the, the happy moment of Duncan's wedding, which is a really cool episode in this series. You know, they sprinkle in the main story as well, but Duncan's wedding was a really nice moment. I thought they put that together really well. They didn't forget about the Savinis. You still got the splattering, too, that's on display in this in this season as well. So don't don't worry about that. They didn't forget about that. And this show did another thing that I thought was really cool to wrap things up. They showed you that they didn't forget about characters from not just season two, but season one as well. They gave endings to a lot of characters that I didn't expect them to give endings to. One of the major characters from season one plays a role in this final season that you're not going to see coming. It's very unexpected and brings a lot of closure to that. Not just that character, but a story for the Locke family in general, really, really surprised that they were able to fit that in in this final season. And it didn't feel forced either. It actually made sense. And there were some callbacks to the previous seasons as well that kind of tied in to that story, which I thought was really, really neat. I got to say, though, Bodie's story in this season was pretty darn good. And not that they were, not that it wasn't in previous seasons, but some of the stuff this kid has to go through in season three and some of the things that need to get solved with him involved are, are pretty, 
pretty intense. Pretty intense and pretty clever. It just goes to show you just how clever Bodie is. We knew that already anyway, but it, it shows you even more how clever he is. And you get to see Bodie in a little bit of a different light this season in more ways than one. I will I will tell you that much. It, the, things get a little weird sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Things are going to get a little weird. You might be a little upset at times too. But just Bodie's journey is a really, really cool one this season for sure. Now, are there also some frustrating moments in this season? Yeah, I found myself yelling at the screen several times. And it wasn't because the story was bad or what was happening was was bad. It wasn't out of dislike. It was out of frustration of you forget that there's still kids and that they're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things, especially in the heat of the moment, that might not exactly be, I don't want to say what they should be doing, not the smartest way of going about it. Let's just put it that way. And then I have to remind myself that there's still kids and what they're actually going through is so crazy. You know, how well would you think in that particular moment? So as I'm yelling at my screen, I then I have to turn around and remind myself of that. But at the same time, there's going to be times where you're going to be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? This that's it's going to happen. I'm just going to warn you about that right now if you haven't watched the season or if you haven't watched it all the way through. It happens more in the in the in the final few episodes. I'll say that than than throughout the season. But yeah, it, it's definitely definitely going to happen. But it seems like everybody gets their closure, not necessarily their moment per se, but their closure. Ellie coming back this season was really really big. We see some stuff with Rufus as well. You get to see a lot more Rufus actually. In this season, Rufus capable more than you think he is. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. You also get to see Nina not just let go of some stuff, but move on with some stuff from her past as well. And you see that there's a future there for Nina, and, and I'm happy for her. How can you not be happy for her after what this woman's been through and the ups and downs that she's had? It's it's hard not to. So I, that's that's also really neat that they did that. But they just did justice to this story so, so much. Didn't give us a shot-for-shot version of the comic, which I don't mind. If you haven't, there's a lot more of the story in the comics. If you want to pick up, if you're if you're thinking, okay, I only got three seasons, what do I do now? You read the freaking comics. That's what you do, and get some more of this story because there's a lot of it. The Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez and everybody that's been involved in Lock and Key over the years in the comics want to tell you, let this show be the gateway to these comics from IDW. If you haven't read them already and you want more of this lock and key story, that's where you're going to get it. But I, I have to say that this show was everything I wanted it to be and more over these few seasons. I'm so glad and grateful that we, we got as many seasons as we did. I'm going to miss this cast together, but I can't wait to see what they're moving on to next because they are a very talented bunch. And I know that they're going to do some really cool things in the future. But yeah, watch this final season of Lock and Key on Netflix. If you really love the show from the beginning, I think that this ending is definitely a just one and one that I really think that you're going to enjoy. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Netflix's Lock and Key's final season. Up next, there might be a few nerd news items to talk about, and we'll do that next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Cameron Beacon Dova from Gotham, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Another week and another blunder by Warner Brothers Discovery. It's time for nerd news. And I don't mean to pile on. I really, really don't. But this one just made me roll my eyes so far in the back of my head that they popped out into my mouth Beetlejuice style. And if you get that reference, we can be friends. But this week, Warner Brothers Discovery announced the return of Pennyworth, which, of course, the series that ran for two seasons on Epics now on HBO Max. And it's going to be coming out in October. That's the good news. I want to get out, get that out of the way right now. You know how much I love Pennyworth. If you've listened to the show before, it's a great show. I've had the cast on the show before. It's just something you should be watching. I want to make that very, very clear. But it was announced that the title has been changed for the move to HBO Max. And get this, you probably already know what it is. But for those who don't, I'm going to tell you. They changed it to Pennyworth, the origin of... Of Batman's Butler. 
Now, why is this a big deal, and why am I upset about this? You say it just seems it's it's simple tie. You know, people want they just want people to know that it's connected to Batman. Stop bat splaining to us, first of all. You don't need to do that. If I walked up to a lot of different people and I said, "Who's Alfred Pennyworth?" A lot of them are probably going to say, "That's Batman's Butler," right? And then you go, "No, no, no, well, it's so much more than that." You don't need to add that. It's a very unnecessary change that's basically you're, you're dumbing it down is what you're doing. And I know I've said on this show a million times, and maybe you're saying, James, I've listened to you before you say you have to have that general audience. You got to bring them in. You got to hook them, and that's how you're going to get a show to stick around. And that's true. But you're giving them an unrealistic set of expectations for this show because this show is more about Alfred and his coming of age is a, is a stupid way of putting it. But seeing his struggles early on in his adult life and him being an SAS agent, all the loss and all the things he's had to do to get to the point that he ultimately gets to. He is far more than a simple butler. We've known that already, but you really get to see that in this show. And this show is not about Batman in the slightest. Not at all. This is Alfred's show, and it is a completely different character than any Alfred that you've seen so far. And we do get to see Thomas and Martha Wayne, well, not not Martha Wayne right now in the show, but you get to see Thomas and Martha in this series as well, and you get to see them in a very, very different light than you've ever seen them before. So to even bring Batman into the mix, if you think, and I put this up in the article at downandnerdypodcast.com, if you think you're going to be seeing a cape and cowl in the show ever, you're sorely mistaken. That is not going to happen. Batman will never factor into the show. Now, is there a baby on the way? Sure. Is it Bruce? We think it is. We don't know for sure that it is. We don't know that right now is all I'm saying. So you, you've got to, everything this show is built in its first two seasons. You're dumbing it down with this title. You don't need to do this. You need to... Sh- Market the show properly. Show people what this show really is. There's a ton of action. There's some political intrigue there. There's there's war-torn London in season two, and now we're, we're getting from more than likely to Gotham City in season three and how that's going to go and you know how they're going to put roots down there eventually. Talking about Alfred and, and, of course, Thomas and Martha and some others as well. And everything that Alfred's been through had to do his relationship with his parents, his relationships in general, right? What's happened to his friends and his comrades. This guy's been through so much and you dumb it down by bringing up the whole Butler thing and bringing up the connection to Batman. Like that's the only reason people would want to watch. How do you get people to watch your other shows? Because you you don't need Batman. There's the hook to everything. Batman is not the be all end all in the savior of Warner Brothers. I hope that the Discovery folks realize that. Because if you think that's the only character that you can hang your hat on and, and bring the money and start letting it roll in, uh, I got news for you. Yet yeah, That is not a survivable business strategy. And I, I attacked their business strategy last week. I'm going to do it again because it seems like they're not really getting it. I know they're trying to put this 10-year plan together. Well, year zero, not off to a great start. Do better. Fix it. Figure it out really fast because fans are starting to get frustrated with pretty much everything that you're doing. So give us something good. And maybe that something good is going to come from the animated world because that seems to be one place where Warner Brothers doesn't have their head up their ass right now. And maybe it's because they're leaving it alone. We're getting a third Mortal Kombat Legends movie, and that is great news. Mortal Kombat Legends Snowblind coming to digital HD on October the 9th. And on physical release, which means 4K and Blu-ray combo packs and things like that, on October the 11th. Now, here's the deal. This is actually going to focus a little bit more on Kenshi. And if you don't know who Kenshi is, blind warrior, assisted by a blade, kind of gives you know a, a certain sight. And that is, it's a really cool concept if you're not really sure who the who the character is. And it's it's a great character to spotlight. In this third movie. And then you've got not just Kano, by the way, King Kano. And he's mad with power. And he wants to take over Earthrealm because that's just basically what we do 
in the Mortal Kombat universe as we constantly try to take on Earthrealm. And, I mean, you can either, you know, kneel to the man or you can be annihilated. It's basically where they're at. And you also have Kenshi being trained by a very reluctant Kwai Leung. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. I can't quite remember at the moment. But be, being trained by him and and how to basically save Earthrealm and combat. I mean, you've got Scorpion is back in this. We, of course, have we, we have Sub-Zero who's going to be there. You can see Shang Tsung is a part of this as well. And by the way, you do have Manny Jacinto who's going to be playing Kenshi in this. Patrick Seitz will be back as Scorpion. That is good news. Plenty of returning cast members in this and some new faces as well. Your Lowenthal going to be joining the cast. Courtney Taylor going to be joining. A couple names that you might know. There's a lot of great things to look forward to. In this movie, and again, it just looks so friggin' awesome. These Mortal Kombat Legends movies so far have looked fantastic. The action has always been off the charts. I thought the first one was better than the second one. That's not a knock, because the first one was fantastic. The second one didn't quite live up to that as much, but that was a high bar. And the second second one was still really, really good. This one has me really excited, because visually, again, it looks great. But at the same time, you also have a character that doesn't really get a lot of focus most of the time and it's a cool character design you've got an older Kano as a part of this as well and yeah this this just looks friggin cool I can't wait for Mortal Kombat Legends Snowblind when it comes out this October so basically what I'm saying is get ready for a lot to look forward to in October but a month before that we've got Cobra Kai which is going to be coming on Netflix on September the 9th and the moment that I've been waiting for is finally here, and that is that the bad boy, Mike Barnes, is going to be in Season 5 of Cobra Kai. The new images that were released this past week from Netflix confirms that. Sean Kanan back in that role. That's the only picture I cared about, by the way. The rest of them were great. Don't get me wrong, super psyched for Season 5 and all the things that are coming. This is the one that I wanted to, to see the most. This is the one that caught my attention. And here's something that I've been thinking about. Because you automatically assume, right, that since Barnes is back, that this is going to be one of those, oh, he's going to definitely align with Silver. He's going to take over one of these Cobra Kai franchises and basically get inside Daniel's head for the entirety of this fifth season, right? That this is going to be a weapon at Silver's disposal. Is it, though? Because I have a little bit of a theory, and maybe I'm crazy, but things didn't exactly go well for Barnes when he aligned himself with Silver. How do we know that Barnes isn't looking for revenge on Silver instead of Daniel? Sure, Daniel beat him, right? Daniel beat him. You could make the argument that Daniel embarrassed him. Maybe Barnes is still a bad dude, and he's looking for revenge against Daniel. Certainly, you could go that route. But how about the guy that basically screwed Barnes's career, which was Silver and Crease? That really screwed Mike Barnes, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. So what if Barnes decides to align himself with Daniel and Chosen to take down Cobra Kai? That, to me, would be interesting. And, you know, how would Daniel and Mike Barnes kind of settle this score or be okay with one another if that's the case? Maybe there is going to be some friction early on, but I can't be 100% certain that Mike Barnes is going to be one of the kings of these new Cobra Kai dojos. And I think we, we've seen that the, you know there's going to be a few heads of those already, and we see some of those different branches already going through the valley. But Mike Barnes' return in Season 5 of Cobra Kai, I'm just saying might not be exactly what we think it is. That's something to keep an eye on. Even if it is aligning with Silver, I don't hate that, okay? Because it makes a lot of sense why Terry Silver would want to do that and get inside Daniel's head, especially with Daniel doing the full-court press now to get rid of Cobra Kai. I'm not saying that would be a stupid idea. I'm not saying I would hate that idea. I love it either way. But if we see somehow Daniel and Mike Barnes joining forces to go after Silver, to me, that's super interesting. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests from the Orville, Tales of the Walking Dead, Five Days at Memorial. You can always find... More interviews that we do, too, at downandnerdypodcast.com. You, you know you like listening to the shows on the website, too. I know you do. we got the timestamps up there. Maybe that's something that you like, so you can skip to what you want to listen to first and then listen to the rest. Also, make sure you're subscribing wherever you get your podcasts 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to listen. We appreciate you subscribing to the show. Follow along on social media as well at Down and Nerdy seven five seven on Twitter and on Instagram at Down and Nerdy on Facebook and at Down and Nerdy Pod now on TikTok as well. Got some brand new videos coming soon too, and some exclusive content's going to be on TikTok and Instagram too, probably. Remember also that you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.